course, that book, Start With Why, with Simon Sinek and the TEDx Talk all those years ago, brought this front and center. But I really think people have misunderstood your why is not about messaging. Side note, I think people should not start with why. I think they need to put it in a different place in messaging choreography. That's a totally different topic. (laughs) But... It's about if you unleash your why, if you unleash your purpose, it is so amazing how creative our clients get when they remember, even if I don't make a sale, if I transformed a scenario for someone, if I created progress for a prospect, if I made an impact in my industry or for a stakeholder or vendor or a partner, that that's still success, they come up with the best ideas and wow, they work because they are serving their market to a much higher level. So I actually do believe that purpose-driven branding unleashes intrinsic motivation and creativity inside of teams, which makes for better marketing in the first place. Welcome to Corporate Caffeine. I'm Dacia Coffey and joining me today is the fabulous Daisy McCarty. Welcome back. I am so excited because today... We are talking about 2023 trends and as bonus content, you're going to get some 2023 advice as well because not every trend needs to be followed. Just because it's a trend doesn't necessarily mean it's good for your business, but we are going to dive into them. So without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into what you guys need to know is coming down the pipeline in 2023 and what we think about it. All right, Daisy. You get to kick us off. What is the first trend you want to dive into that you're seeing for 2023? There's a trend that's impacting the majority of marketers for 2023, and it's not a happy one. Most marketers are being asked to do better than ever with the same amount of money or less money than they had last year. Yes, you are not kidding. And one of the most concerning things about this is if you look at the CMO surveys, literally since 2019, even pre-pandemic, the spend in some of the bigger companies is going up so much higher. And so for marketers to be strapped, you know, with increased competitive um, challenges, in addition to reduced resources internally is really, really difficult to navigate. It is. And I think one of the, the things I hear most often from marketers when they're faced with you're either getting the same amount of money, which in an era of inflation means you're really getting less, or they're actively being asked to spend less. They need to know, what can I afford to cut? Was it safe to cut? And of what I'm keeping, how can I optimize it? Okay. So I think that's such a great point because prioritization is at the heart of this. So what's your advice when it comes to if you are in the situation where you don't have the full set of resources, time, attention, money, people that you need in order to launch everything that you want to, what do you cut? How do you decide what actually will create impact on the business and still perform? I think one of the most common areas for my B2B clients is understanding which trade shows they should really be attending. I have some clients that have eight, nine, 10 trade shows that they have always gone to, and they need to take a very close look at which ones they should actually be attending based on past performance and based on where their buyers are going. And it's obviously the best time to look at how are you getting the most out of those trade shows? Do you have a pre-show 
marketing strategy, assuming you do get some kind of access to an attendee list? Or if not, what are you going to be doing on social? What are you choreographing throughout the the trade show booth experience. So you know exactly what you're saying. You have an offer that's compelling in the booth to turn interested parties into at least subscribers, if not into active leads. And then an aggressive strategy for post-show follow-up. So there's nothing that's being wasted. And then if you are going to spend on trade shows, instead of waiting to the last minute to see who has leftover booths, decide which ones are your most important trade shows and spend early to get them the best spot that you can. Um, and also, obviously, if you can do a workshop or a, lead a track or something at a trade show, that's going to be massively more effective than just showing up and having a booth. Well, and I think that's such a, that point right there is exactly at the heart of it, is it's are your trade shows structured and choreographed so that they actually do generate real sales qualified leads or are you just smiling and waving? I had a prospective client the other day say to me, oh, it's really obvious if I don't attend this trade show. And this trade show that he was talking about literally has over 2,000 vendors. And I said to him, only if you're number one or you're number two. They are only, they are the only ones that are obvious if they're not there. No one will notice that you are not there and that you're spending your money in a smarter place that drives more value for you and your clients. So yeah, like, is it driving leads? So simple. And some, for some people, it's even doing a post-show event, a, a beverage tasting or something like that that's more compelling than just a, a rushed noisy conversation is a way that you can cherry pick who you are talking to and who you're attracting at a trade show. Yeah. Another area where I think a lot of marketers aren't realizing that they can do a lot of cutting is on services like Zoom Info, where there's a lot of wiggle room and a lot of negotiating room. Those companies that have been monopolizing a specific area for a long time, they're starting to have competitors come into the market. You have a lot more negotiating power than you have in the past, and there is a ton of profit margin that's at play. Yes. So two things there. Almost everything is negotiable, you guys, including software. So just want to throw that out there that you can probably negotiate a better deal for a lot of your marketing resources. The other thing is I just want people to ask the question, how are we going to use the list? If your answer is, I'm not sure, or well, I think, dot, 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 no, no. If you cannot put a structured plan behind how that list is going to bring you value and how you are going to appropriately till and harvest that list, it's not of value to you. Especially since things like cold email outreach have become less and less and less effective. Yes, there are, there are different ways to use that information. But for my clients in particular, one of the top pieces of advice for actually getting value out of a list is if you are reaching out to people who have not heard from you before, you need to be inviting them to a live event about a topic that they cannot miss, that you know your target market has such a massive interest in that they don't care if you just reached out from nowhere because they're going to get an hour or 90 minutes of being given actionable advice on exactly the problem that they're trying to solve. The problem they are trying to solve, not the one you think you are trying to solve for them. Yes. The problem as they see it, yes. as they frame it. Focus on optimization. So if there are tactics that are huge time sucks and you're not a hundred percent sure how to attribute the impact on the business, be really thoughtful in regards to where you're investing your time and 
shift that time investment to optimizing what is working. You and I have seen this so frequently that there are leads hidden in them, their tactics. It's amazing how many real leads are already in people's lukewarm email list that, you know, went cold during a late stage sales engagement or all different places, but there's so much to harvest right in front of people. And they're not thinking optimization. They're always thinking, and this, and this, and this, and just adding on instead of harvesting more out of what they're already doing. Yes. There are so many leads that are already in your contact database, already in your existing audience on social media. And you just have to figure out what's the next offer that you're making to them that has enough value for them to re-engage. Yes. And it's not buy my stuff. It is not buy my stuff. Not ever. It never has been. And it's definitely not true now. I love it. Okay. So the next one that I have on my list in regards to trends for 2023 is purpose-driven branding. And I also want to add the phrase in their heart forward branding because I struggle a little bit with how jargony purpose-driven is getting. And I think that this one's fun and interesting and super important because I think we need to talk about what it is and what it is not. So purpose-driven branding is a trend, is a continued trend because this is how buyers want to buy. This is what they want to pay attention to. It's what's resonating. It's a trend because it's what's garnering people's attention, interest, and trust. But it's not about just being on trend on hashtag, you know, grabbing something that's media worthy, whatever you want to call that or cancel culture. You know, I think that's really, really important is it's about being worthy of being believed and trusted and paid attention to. Absolutely. And the the purpose is the thing that you're for and not what you're against. Yes. And that's what gives it the longevity. And you're absolutely right. People want to do business with people who share their values around what they're for and what they want to see more of in the world. And I have more and more conversations with B2B business owners who, you know, five years ago, a conversation about core values and mission and vision was like, well, that's nonprofit stuff. That's it's the fluffies and we don't need it. And now they're like, I, I am here on purpose for a reason. This is what I believe in. This is what I want to see more of in the world. Of course, that book, Start With Why, with Simon Sinek and the TEDx talk all those years ago brought this front and center. But I really think people have misunderstood your why is not about messaging. Side note, I think people should not start with why. I think they need to put it in a different place in messaging choreography. That's a totally different topic. (laughs) But it's about if you unleash your why, if you unleash your purpose, it is so amazing how creative our clients get when they remember, even if I don't make a sale, if I transformed a scenario for someone, if I created progress for a prospect, if I made an impact in my industry or for a stakeholder or vendor or a partner, that that's still success. They come up with the best ideas and wow, they work because they are serving their market to a much higher level. So I actually do believe that purpose-driven branding unleashes intrinsic motivation and creativity inside of teams, which makes for better marketing in the first place. It does. And especially on social media, I work with so many business owners who hate doing social media. It sucks the very life out of them until they change their perspective to what am I here to share that's making the world a better place. Yes. And 
I, I had a conversation earlier today with a client. He, went, he was talking about a video that he had done where he was asked a question. He got a little fired up in, in his response to it. Um, not in a, a ranting way, but just it, he finally brought emotion into the conversation that he was having. And he got so much better engagement, so much higher uh, interest in that video compared to other videos. And it was because there was passion and there was purpose behind what he was talking about. Oh, and it just resonates when you see that fire in someone's face and you hear it in their voice. I'm paying attention to that. That at the very least brings out curiosity. So yes, I love it. I love it. All right. What's the next one you've got on your list? I think the next topic that we should talk about is about the focus on post-sale engagement. So I think when we were talking earlier, you, you call this customer retention. It's part of the overall brand experience and it doesn't stop after the sale. And for a lot of, especially smaller B2B companies, I often see if I look at their marketing budget, they have nothing allocated to customer retention. It's just, it's not on the radar. Not only that, but they don't have anything allocated toward upselling and cross-selling to existing customers. Yes. It's almost like they forget that customer strategies are part of marketing and that there is a whole life cycle about lifetime customer value and refer referrals from them and evangelism in addition to cross-selling and upselling. I had a client a number of years ago, and this is an embarrassing story to tell, but I have to tell it. Six months into the engagement, we're not seeing the numbers move like they should. Now, we're seeing the leads turned and we're seeing the deals close, but we're not seeing move on revenue. So I finally decided to ask the dumb question, well, what's happening with that revenue number? Can you show me how your revenue is breaking down? I don't understand why we're not accelerating when the leading indicators are showing that we should be. Yeah, they were basically losing a client for every new one that they got. Six months in, I was mortified that I did not think to ask about customer strategies early on because I just assumed ops had it, but they do not. And that was, thank God we found it. And then we were able to layer marketing strategies on top of that and delight clients. But I'll never forget that moment. I mean, literally jaw on the floor. What? What? Why? Why? Why did this not come up? Why have we not talked about this? And so I think it's so, so important. And to your point about ops not being aware that this was part of the, the strategy, uh, operations, customer service, even if you have account executives that are working with customers one-on-one, -on -one, they don't always understand that marketing is supposed to be playing a role in all of the areas where they're supporting customers. Yes. And it's okay to ask for that help and marketing should be ready, willing, and able to, to provide the strategies and the, the automated touch points and all of the things that keep customers delighted. And it's so exciting because marketing can help your other team members go up the value scale, highest and best use by offloading some of that writing, some of that frequency of, you know, and also create a virtuous cycle back of that feedback that they're getting that can then reinform marketing and messaging around what's really happening in our life cycles of our customers and what are they really experiencing. I mean, so many good things when you get your whole team aligned around the value that you're creating for clients. And you'll also get a lot more testimonials and Google reviews and all of the things you need in order to make your marketing better yes. when you're reaching out to new prospects. Yes, absolutely. So I think I want to bring up one tiny 
not so tiny, but one final little thing on this is that people need to realize in regards to customer experience that buyer's remorse begins before they sign the contract. It begins before they are onboarded. The second they go, oh, I think I like these guys. They immediately shift into fear, nervous mode, and all of a sudden their decision-making criteria shifts to all the things that could go wrong. And if you are excellent at navigating the prospect experience, that should be a phrase out there, but if you're excellent at navigating and choreographing that with integrity, excellence, and calmness so that you're removing friction and you're anticipating slowdowns and change management that has to happen, holy cow, are you setting your team and your company up for real significant impact because of what you did and what you taught them about what it's going to be like to work with you? Yes. You want to see customers as they're being onboarded, they're just as excited as the first day they met you, if not more. And deliberately maintaining that excitement rather than letting people fall into fear is definitely an important piece of that, setting people up for an ongoing good customer journey. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. Okay, so the next one I've got on my list is the fact that there is significant and massive changes in buyer behavior. And I don't know, maybe this sounds like Captain Obvious because I feel like we've been saying this for 10 years, but I mean some significant sacred cows are not at play anymore. Things are not working how they used to. So I think the easiest way for me to dive into this one of what I'm seeing is to give some examples. So demonstrations, demos for software or any other company that has to have proof proof of concept, they don't work like they used to. The days of your very first call should be a demo so that the prospect understands what they're looking at, dead, dead in the water, doesn't work. They have got to be re-engineered around how is the buyer moving through their decision? Because we used to say, and the studies used to say that buyers are two thirds of the way through their buying decision before they talk to a sales rep. They're saying now that they're 80, almost 90% of the way through before they talk to a live human. So if this long, cumbersome demo is the first thing they experience with a human, you in trouble. You are not delighting anybody <laughs> in, that, in that part of the sales cycle. Yes, people are definitely more and more protective of their one-on-one time than they have ever been before. And what it takes to lead them into the right frame of mind for a demo, you have to provide value before the demo and you have to do it over and over and over as many times as it takes. Yes. Yes. 100%. I just I just think you know, we use that phrase choreography all the time, but that really is what it should be is paying attention to what buyers are really doing, what they're really asking, what they're really experiencing, and then re-engineer, re-choreograph your sales process and your prospect experience based on what they want. So, you know, some people in the industry call it like leaning your sales cycle or leaning your selling process. And I just think that's such a great approach. It's better for your, for your selling and your closing ratios, but then you're bringing value throughout. I mean, it's literally your brand and servant leadership in action. If you decide to take the time to do that and think through that process and pay attention to how buyer's behavior actually has changed and what it looks like in your industry. 
One thing that I've seen in terms of bringing people into a demo that's, that's a little bit different than most traditional salespeople are used to doing is you're providing a tool that's of value. The call to action for a conversation one-on-one is, would you like someone to help you use that tool yeah. and walk you through it? You walk them through the tool, and then you have the right to ask, there's an easy way to do this if we do it for you. Can I show you, you know, what that would look like? And that's an easy yes for people. They've already had that first connection with you. You've given them a tool. You've given them free advice on how to use it. And, you know, it's not even like set up a separate call. It's just on the call. It's a natural conversation. I, it's not bait and switch because you've already given them exactly what they asked for. That is the key. It, the death of clickbait, mm. that is the key. And also it is a dramatic change in content marketing. So no, content is not dead. Content is really important. But I think what we're seeing in that buyer behavior is it's a shift from useful convert, uh, content to usable content, like put something in their hands that creates progress, action, and success for them right now. And then yes, then you are a resource. Then they do have a reason to hop on the phone with you because you gave them something usable before you ever asked for something. And then you're just there to support their progress. I mean, I love how you framed that. And I think it's exactly on point with what we're seeing in the market right now. Very true. And this is where understanding what people actually are asking for and meeting them where they are instead of where you think they should be comes in. And I see this a lot with technology companies that have solved a complex problem that their customers don't understand. And they want to sell the solution instead of talking about what customers think their problem is. You have to start with what they think their problem is and not how you solve it. I can't, I can't help it. I have to jump up on this soapbox. People do not buy products and service in the business-to-business landscape. They have never bought a widget. They have never bought software. They have never bought a service. What they bought is a solution to their problem, or they bought prestige, or they bought the spotlight, or they bought progression in their career, or they bought... Who knows, you know, the ability to escalate or scale their growth or their team or attract talent. They're buying a million things, but they are not buying your product or service. And it's time to stop talking about your product and service, but instead shift to what it does and what it means and what it represents for the people that you serve. So, all right, I'm good. I just, I just couldn't resist that soapbox. (laughs) Okay. What have you got next? One of the top trends, um, speaking of content marketing, marketers are actually going to be spending more on content marketing than ever before in the coming year. And the number one type of content they're going to be spending more on is of course, video. (sighs) Mic drop. Yep. And that's because in the B2B landscape, video makes every single thing you do work better. It makes your landing pages perform better. It makes your email marketing perform better. It makes your social media perform better. It makes your sales conversations perform better. Everything that you do is better if you're doing video with it. Yes. I I am so excited by this one. Um, We've been beating the drum on this. Everyone's been hearing this, but also internally, we're just really focused on how do we solve this for our customers and our clients because there's a lot of people that don't want to be on video or they don't have time to be on video. But I would argue, how do you not have time to drive better results with what you're already doing? You can't carve out one hour a week or one hour a month 
to completely revolutionize the outcomes that you're getting from your existing marketing yeah. efforts and sales efforts. Like, hmm. And we're not talking about marginal improvements. It's not like 10% better. It's three or four times better. Yes. It's, it's not something that you can afford to ignore if you actually want to get results out of the marketing efforts you're putting in. Because you're going to spend time, you're going to spend money anyway. If, you're, if you have a landing page and you're spending $2,000, $5,000 on Google ads driving people to it, and you could triple your conversions by having a video on the page that shows people what they're about to get, Absolutely. do it. Absolutely. And then this touches on so many other things. It does go back to purpose-driven branding. There is a difference when you are on camera and you create an environment for that person like you, the client you were talking about earlier, where there was fire. You know, like when he got riled up, like authentically and in a great way where people can go, oh, that's significant. That's something I need to pay attention to. That's worthy of emotion and passion. Wow. Something just changes when you let humans communicate in a human manner. But then also, you know, there's over the years been so much talk about repurposing content, which you should, but we have found for clients and for ourselves, man, you get a lot of repurposing if you start with video content and then re-engineer what can we do if we chop it up or do this or put it on landing pages or transcribe this or create quotes or create pictures or do clips or change it with captions. I mean, there's so many directions that you can go if you start with a real conversation and a live person talking about something of value. And another thing to remember is that Google now owns YouTube and they love to show videos to people. And most of your competitors are not going to take the time to build a content strategy for SEO using video, which means you can leapfrog people that have been writing content for 10 years more than you have. And you spend all kinds of money on SEO, uh, both paid and organic. If you're just willing to put together video that Google is going to pull and show on top of their content. Yes. Yes. And they will continue to refresh video. They'll suppress old things that are not resonating anymore. And so it's not like you're late to the game. Video content has to be relevant and new. And there's a lot of data and algorithms making sure that it's good content and people just won't like and watch your video if it's not worthy. So, I, I mean, I think that, you know, that if anybody's saying, oh, but we're too late to the game, not true. Like not 100% not true. Most people are not doing a, even a fraction of the video that they should be. No, absolutely. Exactly. And one more point before we leave that a lot of the reason that marketing departments and companies as a whole have not done videos, they think it has to be, everything has to look like a TV commercial. Everything has to be highly produced, super glossy. And that is not the case. Yes, there are some pieces of your video content that do need to be professionally shot, but don't let that hold you back from doing the hundred other types of video content that are just you being real on camera with in a conversation that matters to your customers, because that's, it drives so much engagement on social. It drives so much trust in all of your other aspects of marketing as well. Yes. Um, one tiny little piece of advice for people, because I hear a lot of times people go, but I don't know what to talk about. And they say this about social media in addition to video. Like, what do I put out there? 
okay, so yes, sure, you need to talk about your product or your service a little bit. But there's a lot of other P's, and I don't mean the marketing P's to talk about. Talk about your people. Celebrate the people that inspire you. Talk about the books that you're reading. Talk about, you know, share a quote. Talk about anything. Talk about what's happening just in your life, in your team, things that you're learning. So the people aspect. Talk about your passion why you do what you do, what's interesting, what you're excited about, what you are advocating for, what needs to change, how things should be. You can talk about philanthropy or philosophy. So are there things that you want to share your spotlight with, like nonprofits that deserve some sort of love and attention from your brand and that you support? Is there anyone else where you can be generous in in the you know, in the microphone that you've been given, so to speak. And it could be a vendor. I mean, it could be a partner. It could be anybody. I mean, somebody in the community doing something really good, but shout outs can go so, so far and it can go on and on. We could do pets as a P. (laughs) (laughs) I'm only kind of kidding. But, but my point being is that it's human And there are so many avenues, especially when you're talking about video, where if you're doing just something really quick will still resonate and um, you can be on brand without just talking about your product. And of course, the other place to look for ideas is keyword research. What do people actually want answers for? Yeah. And if that needs to be your starting place, let that be your starting place. That is one of the things that I wish... I would have come to much faster years ago. Um, And I I think we're probably going to dive into thought leadership a little bit, you know, I'm guessing in the, in the future on this podcast, but yeah, just give people what they want. Stop worrying about what you want to say. And there is a lot of data out there about what people are looking for, the words that they use, what they are struggling with. You don't have to figure it out. You can, let the data, let the tools literally show you what people need you to be talking about. And then just go talk about that. Absolutely. And just for those of you who are going to go out and do some keyword research, there's there are different research tools for Google and for YouTube because people search different kinds of things. But the content usually performs well across both platforms. So look in both places yes. to find ideas. I love it. I love it. Love it. Okay. So I'm going to switch to another one that we've got on the list. And this is actually a funny one based on a test we've done recently. And it's the trend of AIs taking over the world. Maybe not the world, but it is definitely here to stay inside of the marketing landscape. Now, we all know that Google has been running AI algorithms forever. And so is now the metaverse and they have been doing the same thing, but now it's showing up in a lot of different places. And, um, we've been testing them out, you know, trying to make sure that we're figuring out what's the role that AI should play in the world. And so, um, one of those, one of those tests, for instance, was can AI reproduce video content, reproduce humans like a deep fake. <laughs> what did you think about that test? There is a, a concept in the video gaming world where if things are almost human, but not quite, and they get eerie, that it can be really off-putting. So it's better to have something that's obviously not real than something that's, oh, there's just a little something wrong with it. Um, unfortunately, based on the current tools that are commercially available, 
it's not possible to just take somebody and, you know, recreate them as a, a an AI character that looks like the looks like the real thing. We had yes, we had uh, quite a uh, quite some harsh uh, feedback from our internal team on some <laughs> initial tests with that. And it's a, a good example of adopting the right AI at the right time. Because if you're too early and the bugs are not worked out, you're going to end up giving people a poor impression. Well said. So um, let's talk about some of the places that we have found AI being a helpful tool. Um, this is probably going to shock some of you guys since you both, you guys know both Daisy and I are writers at heart and in trade and all the time, but we have found some of the AI writing tools to be helpful, not a replacement, but helpful. Yes, absolutely. Especially for creating things like blog outlines and giving you a structure to work within. And this is especially important for smaller business owners or smaller teams where they can't afford to outsource they're blogging entirely to just real humans writing real content. To be able to understand enough about how they should be structuring the content and the, where the keyword placement should happen, and then they can go in and edit it to add their own voice, to add more accuracy and more detail, so it's, uh, it's not as fluffy as some of the pure AI written content, but it's a really powerful tool, especially for small business owners who have not done SEO blogging before, to, to say, okay, I can plug in this information and it spits out a useful outline and some content that then I can take and make it unique. And I, okay, right there, what you just said that I can take and make it unique. So it took out the heavy lift of the blank page. Where do I start? What are other people saying? It aggregated what other people are saying and then gave you an outline to go, Hey, you know, here's what's working online. Now add your point of view. So it's human augmented or AI, you know, augmenting our ability to create value. Um, one of our clients is doing something really cool where they're using AI in the same way, but for user research. So, you know, UX researchers and, you know, people diving into the customer experience, they're amazing at qualitative insights, paying attention to people's faces. AI should not replace that human reading and understanding the nuances of another person's feedback and even what they're not saying, right? However, they can aggregate loads of quantitative. They can help you write really amazing survey questions. They can help you dig through a lot of analysis. And so it's, you know, it's really cool to watch even in this very human-centered area around user behavior that it basically is helping really smart humans do more when, to your point, they have less resources. You brought that up earlier. And so I think that's a really great place for AI to live is helping people go back up that value chain and just take the burden of, you know, the menial stuff, you know, the starting point off so that you really can drive value. But you can't abdicate the human Piece. You can't just be like, oh, AI's got this. Like, Human in the loop is, is definitely here to stay. And to that point, um, having the ability to think emotionally, if I can say that, as humans, it's, it has its pros and its cons. So if you want a different way to look at data that strips out your emotional viewpoint, so you're not ignoring things that you're, you've just trained yourself to ignore, AI can be a, a great help in that area as well. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I love it. Okay, what do you have next on your list? I'd like to talk a little bit about using texting 
because this is an emerging trend in B2B marketing and it's one that if you're not doing it correctly, it can get you in even more trouble than doing email the wrong way. Amen, sister. So obviously if you're going to text someone with any kind of marketing email, they need to opt in. And this is a different experience than someone opting into an email list where they're on a website, they click this button or that button to, to opt in to receive future marketing emails from you. If they're giving you their phone number to text them, the percentage of texts that get read compared to emails, it's, it's over 90%. It's like 95% or higher of texts that, that get read. So That's if you amazing. can get people to sign up for a text list, this is amazing. But if you are texting people who have not given you permission, you can get in trouble very fast. Yep. So in terms of how people actually operate with their phone in hand, it's not necessarily a purely digital experience of getting them to sign up to receive texts. So yes, you can have that as an option on landing page forms. You can have it as an option on your website. You can offer them the opportunity to opt in on email, but you also need to be thinking about their physical environment and where you can put QR codes, scannable QR codes in front of them to sign up for something at a time when you're making a very enticing offer or their excitement is at the highest level as they're encountering your, encountering your brand. So in the B2B space where you don't necessarily have the same kind of physical access as you would if you were selling something in a retail store and you have a, a little bin on the end there where you can put a QR code. You need to get creative about thinking, how am I going to actually get people to start opting into text? Yes, such a great point. And, you know, I think this hints back at the change in buyer behavior. It's amazing that I have numerous CEOs, both on the prospect side and client side, where they say, oh, just text me now. 10 years ago, I cannot even imagine that, but it's just different. I mean, we are learning and we're constantly changing. And so I think texting um, is also a reminder, nurture is not dead, but it needs to be really well done, really well done. And I think exactly the tips that you just gave and the thoughtfulness that you're explaining that needs to go into it is right on point about you are asking people to invade a very personal and always on space. And you need to do that well because it can and it will and it should tarnish your brand if you don't do that well. And so just making sure that there's a lot of intentionality. And I don't think this is something that people can ignore. I do think they should be embracing it and really thinking exactly where are they in their physical environment? How are they going to receive it? You know, what is that experience going to feel like? And why is this the best way to communicate a specific piece of information to this type of person? So, I mean, really just thinking through the whole experience for the person receiving it. And I think one best practice to keep in mind, especially with text, is if I'm sending this text to this person, is it helping them do the thing that they want to do right now? Right now. If there's immediacy and it's about what they want and not what you want. I love this it. isn't an email where, hey, read our monthly newsletter that we put into your inbox and maybe you'll read it now, maybe you'll read it later. But, you know, it's about there has to be some immediate action step that you're helping them to accomplish that from their perspective is not an intrusion, but an invitation. I love it. I love it. Okay. Another one that I have got, we're almost done. I think, um, one more that I've got on my list at least is a shift towards, I don't know if it's towards, uh, B2B 
influencers in social media and in the marketing and business ecosystem in general. I think we're seeing this in this interview style um, podcast and videos. I'm seeing a lot of people working together and co-promoting brands. And really, for me, this used to be squarely business to consumer only. You just did not see this in business to business. But I will tell you, we I am now having um, publicists reach out to be on our podcast and on our live streams. And I was like, wow, this is so interesting and surprising and fun and interesting. So, you know, what do you think about this? I'm, I'm excited by this. And I do think even on LinkedIn, you see, you know, LinkedIn pushing people towards follows and, you know, who's trending and, you know, recommending influencers um, in things that they're already interested in. So what are you seeing? Yeah, so that is interesting about LinkedIn. They've launched creator mode. And I recently made the switch from a regular account to a creator account. It's been very interesting to see how that's working. I think for the longest time, there have been thought leaders in the B2B space but there's been a big gap between being a thought leader and actually being an influencer. And we're, it's kind of being closed from two different directions. We have people that are podcasters in the space now, and they've, they've figured out audience and tribe and engagement. Not all of them are people that you want to listen to all the time every day. Their value <laughs> is the guests they bring to the table. But we're starting to see more thought leaders come out of their shell and not just be about you know what prestigious white paper did they author, but engaging with their audience as someone who's worthy of being listened to. Well said. You and I, behind the scenes and on stage, have been talking about the idea of a social CEO for a long time. And, you know, I personally advocate for it because I feel like leaders of companies that are already exerting influence by the fact that they are creating transformations inside of their clients and inside of their employees' lives, that they have a responsibility to have a voice in the social media platforms and in the world at large. You know, you can't just say, oh, it's getting so dark or there's so many trolls or I don't like how that's working if you refuse to actually embody character and integrity in what you stand for in a platform that is free and available to you just like everyone else right in front of you. So I have felt like it is a personal challenge to other leaders to put a voice of positivity and integrity out there. So I'm really excited about this and I love how you are explaining that shift from thought leadership into influencer, because I agree with you. I think that's right on point that it is definitely different. It's not the same thing. It's an evolution of um, where people were trying to play, but you have to bring more heart. You have to bring more authenticity. You have to bring your humanity to the table. It's not just about hiding behind a byline anymore. Yes. It's the education piece is always going to be there because high value education that teaches you things as actual thought leadership, which is you're leading the way and not just <laughs> following. Regurgitating. Yeah. <laughs> At taking that education, but adding the passion to it. Yes. Yes. I love it. I can feel it. I have a feeling Daisy's going to coin something around <laughs> we'll this. figure it out. <laughs> exactly. Like what exactly that shift is. Um, okay. I think, oh, I have one final trend. Do you have any others you want to bring up? No, let's close on a high note. What have you got? Impressions are back. 
This trend I find so weird. I was so surprised to see myself write it down today, but I realized when looking at my clients' metrics and when talking with you and the other CMOs that we have put heightened importance and we are seeing renewed significance behind the idea of impressions and how much are you out there and whether or not you actually have significant share of voice. And it's funny because myself five years ago was like impressions are dead. There's no more room for this. They are ego metrics, but that's not true anymore. No, it isn't. And I think part of that is about priming your buyers, because your competitors are sure going to be out there planting ideas in their heads if you're not. And it brings to mind the the case study that we talked about um, from last year with the client that had ads running on multiple platforms. And nothing was coming in off the LinkedIn platform in terms of leads. But once LinkedIn was paused, everything else cratered because that buyer persona was being primed just by seeing the ads, not clicking on them, not filling out a form, but just that constant presence in their business landscape. So when they saw the ads on other platforms where they were in the mind space to make a yes decision, they were already primed to buy. So yes, impressions, you can only understand the real value of them if you're looking at your entire ecosystem and not just looking at, well, how many leads did I get get off of this impression? Yes. (laughs) Because that's not ever how it works. And I think it's a great reminder back to video content as an example, that it can feel like you are yelling out into the middle of a street and nobody's paying attention sometimes, especially if you're trying to look for likes or comments or shares. But certain types of buyers, certain types of executives, certain types of people they don't engage like that. They like to scroll. They like to pay attention to what other people are doing. They have a high level of curiosity around content out there, but they don't like, click, and comment. They just don't. And I think you and I have both seen that in our video content and our static content that sometimes, you know, my engagement numbers are mediocre. My impressions are pretty darn good. And then I will get significant off the screen feedback around, I always watch your videos or I pay attention every single week, or I loved that. I mean, I get a lot of DMs that are not in those engagement metrics, obviously, and, and they are validating that the impressions are real and that those are not fake metrics. They are really those pauses that people are watching actually are reflections of people paying real attention and actually us making an impact in their thinking and showing up in their in their ecosystem. And that goes back to quality of content. So impressions of good content and good messaging and things that have an emotional impact, that's what you're driving toward, not just, I'm going to churn out 20 pieces of content today because... Uh, Hugh shall not be named, (laughs) said that that's how you do social media so I can get as many impressions as possible. But are you saying something that's of significance and of value? So even if somebody's scrolling past and glances at it, they're reminded why why they keep you in their feed. Yeah. You know, and I think also it's a reminder too, and this is going to get a little bit into the weeds, but it's okay. We have smart audiences, um, that running awareness campaigns alongside of high value content can be so beneficial. And it's interesting because this is standard fundamental stuff when it comes to consumer goods and products in our day-to-day life. Dilly, dilly, flow, Geico, they beat 
the drum. They are constantly, constantly saying the same thing because the brain has a familiarity bias that the more you see something, the more you trust it. And it does not matter if you have a high level of natural skepticism, the brain starts to trust what it sees and hears frequently. It just does. Our neurons shift based on familiarity. And so in the business to business world, we get bored with our own messaging, but that's not how a recipient experiences it, especially when you're doing it in a really smart way where you're bringing value and on top of that, you're making sure that your name is and your brand and your purpose-driven brand is affiliated with the value that you're bringing and so that you're really thinking, again, about that ecosystem. But you're allowed to beat the drum. It works. That's why Super Bowl ads run way past Super Bowl. And this is so funny because I did a social media workshop at SCORE a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about going viral is not a strategy. <laughs> it's something that happens sometimes, but... As often as not, if you don't actually have a way to capture that audience on an ongoing basis, it's a flash in the pan. And I asked the participants if they'd seen any viral content lately. And everybody was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've seen it, I've seen it, seen it. And I said, give, so what, give me an example. Nobody in the entire room could tell me what viral content they had seen because it was just a moment of attention and nothing beyond that. But if I say the best part of waking up is... You know how that is. Or you're in great hands with, you know, yeah, see, because they did the same thing hundreds and hundreds and thousands of times. Yes. So consistency over virality. Every day, every day, every time I will bet on consistency. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Daisy, this has been so fun. I am excited about 2023 because I think the one thing if I think about all the trends that you and I kind of collected and have been investigating and prepped for this, is that there is this heartbeat, this human component to the fact that even though there is accelerated change, there is a lot of technology and you can't ignore the technology that there is this really intentional, necessary balance of human and humanity and heart-centered um, content and value balanced with the technology and the acceleration and change. So I, I, that makes me really optimistic and excited for next year and just to see where people will take these trends. Absolutely. I think the better you know your fellow humans, the better it is for everyone. So the more you put yourself not just in the mindset of what are they trying to accomplish, but what's their environment like? What are they actually physically doing? You know, how, what are they looking for? What answers from their perspective do they need to have? It's, it just makes your marketing better. And it makes your ability to connect and serve much better. I love it. Absolutely. So on that note, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Um, let's get ready for 2023. We would love to hear any of your questions. Please post them in the comments. We always respond. We geek out on this stuff. And so we're really curious about what you're thinking and what you're doing and would love to hear you. Also, if you haven't yet, please make sure to hit that subscribe button. Really good for us and um, just really, really appreciate it. And if you feel so compelled, if you think it's worthy, we will. We would love to get a review from you as well. So um, happy end of 2022. Make it count. Good luck finishing up your fourth quarter and we'll see you on the flip side. Onward and upward. 
If you enjoyed this episode of the Corporate Caffeine Podcast, please help us help you by subscribing. I also hope you'll find us on social media. You can follow me, Dacia Coffee, and my company, The Marketing Blender, by searching us on your favorite platform or checking out the show notes for the links. We bring this to you because we envision a business world full of meaning, connection, and prosperity for us all. Until next time, onward and upward.